Welcome to episode number eight, Tony, of the My Warp Life podcast. It is episode eight. God, they're flying by. You know, I noticed on the last episode, I think it was episode seven, you said it was six when it was intro. So I'm just making sure. Is this episode eight? I was never that good at math. But but before we get started, um, you know, some sad news, you know. uh, Oh, that's right. We lost our... Someone you know that I looked up to, um, and uh, Paul Van Doren uh, passed away recently. And, and uh, I think we got the last interview with him. Yeah, he, we got a great interview with him. Got to talk to him. Uh, I'll cherish having that, to be honest. And uh, it was very strange. I uh, got a signed book, the book that's coming out on on him, uh, just a few days before he passed away, and uh, thought a lot about and. Talk about lives and, and lives well-lived. Sure. Uh, you know, at, at, at some point, I was sitting over at the putting green the other day and uh, heard this guy talk about the clock starts, starts ticking the day we're born, and it's how we use the minutes in between. And uh, if there was ever someone who used those minutes to full efficiency and effect, uh, it was Paul Van Doren. So uh, that, you know... Uh, Glad I, he touched my life in some way. Um, and recently we just had our charity golf tournament and it was great seeing everyone out there. I hope you had a great time. I had a wonderful time. You know, and now you're actually heading out on a golf adventure. You, what, you get like some motivation that you think you could I join am. the tour? You know, I'm, dri- I'm driving out with a bunch of buddies. I'm going up to Santa Barbara and we're going to do Sandpiper. I feel nice. like such a grown up. Yeah, I know. That's a, <laughs> that's a great course. And, uh, You'll have a good time. That's one of my favorite fishing spots is right off of Sandpiper. Oh, really? That's where I go kayak fishing with my friend uh, uh, Scott Westgard. And you just got back from doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're getting into that summer season where we can get out on the water and everything. And and this kind of leads into this episode today because if there was ever a moment we're going to talk about surfing, the water, and the lifestyle, this is all about Hurley and a gentleman named Bob Hurley who was the founder of Hurley, but it's a pretty deep story with me about how people supported each other and how we actually, you know, there was a lot of us kind of doing things down the same path that eventually all converged. And uh, a lot of this came from, you know, a guy named Bob Hurley, you know? So I don't think you've ever met him. But I've not. How long have you known Bob? Well, I met Bob in about 1990. Four, I think, I, you know, was the first time maybe I came across Bob. And, and actually, Bob helped Warp Tour in 1995 before any, before, well, we had Converse and Billabong were our first two sponsors. There was no Vans at that point. There was point. no Vans, okay. But, but Bob was one of those people. And then Bob started Hurley in 1998. But he was associated with Billabong. Yeah, he was the licensee. He licensed billabong and then billabong wanted to raise his licensee fee thousand percent <laughs> like to keep working there good job bob so, and by the way if you want to keep the name <laughs> yeah you want to use billabong go ahead so you know here's where bob explains that well hurley formed in 99 well we actually formed november 98 but we launched in 99 so you know in the clothing business you can't just do something and have it come out right away. It takes a while. But yeah, Paul got us involved with the Warp Tour. I think uh, you guys knew each other or he knew somebody or something. And I was like, yeah, I'm down with this. I love music 
and I love nice people, you know? So yeah, we, in, uh, in 98, we, November, we came out uh, with our first product line and it shipped in 99. And it's interesting, you know, because we always had this thing where it was like supporting nice people. And I have to say in my heart, I used to run across so many nice people in the action sports industry. And that was really a, a very cool, like I always had fun working in action sports. But they're a laid back culture. It's a surfboard, skateboard. It's just Yeah, you know, and it goes back to doing like the Vision Skate Escape where I was producing shows where I get the chili peppers on the ramp for 250 bucks right. on top of the ramp. Right. And we would produce all these really cool things. And I, you know, and that was the funniest thing because Bob had that same kind of philosophy of like just supporting good people. I'm inclined to want to believe in people. Occasionally that doesn't work out, but I'd say on the whole, it, it works out tremendously. You know, Kevin, I've learned a lot from you about believing in people, honestly. And, uh, you see these little gems, you see, see these sparks of potential, and it's so nice if you have any ability to fuel them. It's just such a satisfying experience. So in 1998, this was Hurley or is this still? Uh, well, he was transitioning in, in 98 to 99. He was still Billabong, but he was at that point, that turning point. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because, you know, it was uh, really funny because I, you know, it's, it's our, in our industry, unfortunately, so many people don't give people the time of day. Right. You know, if you can't do something for someone, you don't pick up the phone to talk to them. People I met, like Steve Van Doren and Bob Hurley, you know, you, you go back, you know, to Sterling Ball. These people give people the time of day. You know, a lot of times it's not I'm meeting with you to get something out of it. I'm just meeting with you because you're you a person. You can judge. My grandfather always said this. He said you could judge a person's character by the way they treat someone who they have absolutely nothing to gain from. Yeah. And that's, you know, always my thing is just treat everyone the same. You know, don't be, you know, don't think you're going to gain anything. Don't think, just meet people. And, and that's kind of the crew that we kind of had. And this kind of led, you know, it was funny because, you know, it was funny because, you know, you know, we had a, a guy that we loved named Greg Teal. Greg Teal. I mean, I met, I met that guy. Uh, he was skating at our ramp at work. He broke his ankle. He had to go to the hospital and get stitches and screws and surgery. He didn't sign a waiver. So our art director at the time, Steve Rapp, Greg's good friend came to me and said, Hey, can you do me a favor? My friend's really scared because he didn't sign the waiver and he broke his ankle. Can you write me like a super gnarly letter? Like I'm getting fired. I'm like, yeah, this will be fun. <laughs> and so I wrote in this really gnarly three paragraphs, like, you know, there may be legal action. You, you're likely to be terminated, all this stuff. And he showed it to Greg. And then Greg came in and saw me with Steve. He's like, Hey, can I talk to you? It's not like he asked me to sign the waiver and I said, screw that. And then I did this. Like, it's really not his. I'm like, dude, we're just busting your chops. Yeah. You know, it was, it was always easy to bust Greg Teal's chops. You know, as anyone that knows Greg, you know, we always tortured him. You know, it apparently was, that's I mean, my dog, my, that's, you were talking about nice, cool people. That was, that was kind of a shitty move. Right but, but I think that was, I think that's part of it. It's like, we love Greg Teal. Everyone, you know, he's one of those people and he's part of that culture that we always had. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because the next person that, you know, one of the person I want to, you know, bring into this, who's a key component of this whole story is a guy named Paul Gomez, mm -hmm. who, you know, we've been close for so long, our kids grew up together. 
we've been through a lot together. You know, unfortunately, we, in the past few years, we, we haven't seen as much as we used to. But, you know, you know, I'd like to bring Paul into this conversation. So I just remember the Irvine Meadow show when we, I came to that show and where it was at and just looking at it and kind of going, okay, there's something here. And I remember we all sat in my office for the second year at Billabong and we went, hey, um, who's going to do this? Who's going to get on board? We, we know it's going to be successful. It's, it's interesting, like you were talking about, I, could, I completely forgot about Warped Magazine because Warped Magazine was kind of like that magazine that embodied everything. So it had music, skate, surf, snow. It kind of, you were like an outdoor retailer. You were, you were the first moving gypsy band outdoor retail trade show that really nobody knew how to grasp, right? I think at that time, we would laugh about small bands who had great merch. They'd be on the little stage and they'd be out selling, you know, the big bands who had crappy merch, who had these, you know, they were working with their young artist friends or, or working with brands like Hurley, Volcom, et cetera, you know and doing this really awesome stuff. And people are going, wow, why is their merch so cool? Right. And it's like, they were, they were crushing the big bands and merch. And it was like, it went back to where as if you were a sponsor of the warp tour, you could really solidify who your brand was because it goes back to trade shows at that time. were moving away from open mentality for kids to come to the show. They didn't want kids in the show. And you had that open mentality of like, Hey, every kid should be here. Every band, I, I loved uh, the other podcast when you were talking about, you know, there was no, there was no band that was precious, right? You, 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 if you didn't walk through the crowd, if you didn't, if you didn't go out and shake hands and kiss babies and go sit in a merch tent, like it was, it didn't look very good for you for your next year around on tour. And that's where you saw bands like Blink 182, Good Charlotte, all these young punk rock bands that just went out there and just, I, I really think it's, I, it solidified and changed the way it, a company, a band, and a tour saw things in life because it really, it was, I, I don't know how you, how you pulled it off. I don't know if it was, it was, it was, I don't, I don't ever say anything's luck, but it was a sheer stroke of magic to what created a sponsorship deal. And that's where we were able to bring on targets of the world, vans, all these types of things, because you're looking around and I always looked at Converse and said, why, why did you let that go? I mean, Every punk rocker either wears vans or Chuck Taylors. What are you guys doing? So I, I don't know. I, I, I think that that is something so unique in what was able to happen out there on the tour. I think he's trying to explain what a lot of people understand as a prevalent culture of what you created, of Warp Tour. And that expanded not only with the bands, like you'd have a really big band or they, like he said, they had to come out. They had to be a part of the team. Like, like when Katy Perry had to come to the barbecue, they gave him shit for not coming. It was a culture that you created. So what's unique about that culture is that that expanded beyond to the brands, to the marketing brands. They understood that if we weren't cool, we weren't going to be cool. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know, it's actually, you know, it was funny how, you know, Bob, you know, talks a little bit about how he observed people out there and actually helped guide his brand. At the time, you know, late 90s, uh, uh, a really radical T-shirt would be one with a little logo in the chest right here. You know, a little skater T-shirt, tiniest logo possible. Navy blue was kind of an exciting color at the time for those guys. Heather Gray, woo. 
Well, Steve came to me uh, with Leanne and they were, they were both heading up. Steve was heading up graphics, Leanne design. They're like, hey, we got to differentiate. We can't be like the next Billabong. Like who needs that? Billabong is great. They don't need that. They need something different. So when we come out with this brand, we want to be different. And so we got together with a bunch of our friends, you know, the guys from Blank, a bunch of other band members that you know. And, and uh, we decided to make bright T-shirts. And the guys from Blank actually said, hey, we don't want that tiny little logo crap. We're not about that. We're, we're, we're taking over, man. We are going to do crazy stuff. We want huge logos all over the t-shirt. Can you guys do that? And Steve was like, yeah, we can do that. So the whole front of the t-shirt, the sleeves, everything, you know, and that made a huge difference. Our colors at the time were uh, fluorescent blue, fluorescent yellow, Kelly green, which later was known as Hurley green in the surf industry, which was funny. Um, and uh, I, I forgot one, but they were really incredibly bright and ostentatious. That went along with all the kids who were dyeing their hair and putting nose rings in and all that. It, it was just timing, you know, it was the turn of the millennium. I mean, think about that, Kevin. What you did, you influenced a generation for a solid 20 years with the Warp Tour. A whole new generation grew up, they became adults, they now sell insurance. They grew up on the Warp Tour and bright colors from Hurley and all kinds of changes in music, pop, punk, all this stuff. I'm not a historian, but I, I was impressed to be around what you had going on. I, I think that goes back. Like I mean, these brands were smart enough to recognize the culture that you created and the influence that you had, and they fell in line. And it goes back to what I was thinking about too with Billabong, them, you know, licensing that name, and then him going back and having to get a thousandfold increase so i guess one attorney must have told him maybe you should use your last name <laughs> this was such a natural time for all of this and a learning time for this type of business we we were all learning from each other and you know we like to and i'm looking forward to getting ice tea a slot in his schedule to do this episode about him but how someone like paul gomez traveled on my tour bus and picked up Every that person, I can't wait to do that interview because how much impact he had on so many people and his name comes up in so many things. And, you know, Paul brought something up during our conversation about this. It was that thing where we could all come together and solidify a brand, elevate music and tell a story. And and that's where. If you look at what happened at the barbecue, if you look at what happened, you know, on riding on buses like. Bus one was kind of always my jam, but yet one of one of the things I always go back to, right? Where, where I learned so much was riding with Ice T. You know, when I when you said, "Hey, Paul, you're going to ride with Ice T," I'm like, "Okay, cool." Like, you know, it was his it was his first time out. I think it was Body Count, and I, he was the first person I'd ever seen upload his music to YouTube. Seeing a guy like Ice T, who was working with G Money and doing these types of things, and actually going, this is the future and this is the wave of the way things are going to happen. And this is what's going to happen from a sponsorship level. And this is what's going to, how you're going to build your apparel. Cause I just remember when the body, everything was like tripping out on the whole body count thing, but I was going, why is this guy moving so much merch? Why is it when we get to town, there's a line in front of his, in front of his merch booth. Why is everyone's cause he was promoting days in advance of where he would be via the internet. And I, I was just like, wow, this is insane. That would be cool to, to be able to ride with Ice-T on the bus. Yeah. Who, who, who's G-Money? Well, G-Money, it's a very interesting story who G-Money was. G-Money was is the son 
of one of the most powerful agents in the music business. Uh, Rod Essick is his name, and he runs CAA Nashville. Right, right. So we got to divert to talk about this in this episode, a little bit about G-Money. So G-Money was this kid who was like 15 years old who came out on his, like they asked, can he come out on the road with you? And I'm like, okay, he can come on the road. I was pretty open, like, you want to send your kid out on the road for a week or two? It's great. Well, G-Money showed up, and he showed up in Chicago, and I had a pretty rough day that day because we were down by the United Center, and uh, the project, this, these massive projects, since they've they've torn them down recently, they right. were were next to us, and I, all the kids came over from the projects, and I gave them breakfast. I let them all hang out, and then they stole all our bikes later. That's another story. <laughs> and G Money shows up in the parking lot, and he comes on the bus, and he's wearing like support shoes, and he's wearing got his like medicine bag, and. You know, he's got, he's like this kid that just came out of like a, a really comfortable lifestyle into the warp tour. And I was exhausted. Like I was dealing with the police and the police were like, if you want your bikes, you got to go get them yourself. You know, we're not going in there. <laughs> and it was so gnarly, but I was so hungry and I hadn't eaten all day. So we went somewhere to eat and I came back and by then Stuart Teagert and anyone who ever affiliated with the warp tour, he passed away, mm-hmm. but he was such a legend on warp tour. But he was very, very, I don't know, he was just had this thing and he saw G-Money and he decided G-Money needed a haircut because he showed up with this bushy hair. So they gave him a mohawk <laughs> the first day. They wrote on his arms, I will obey Stuart. And then they burned his shoes in the parking lot because he didn't show up with Vans. Okay, they were going to get him Vans. Oh, my God. So who, who was the one that was responsible for looking after this uh, well, This is like the, the fir- This is like the first few hours. So, <laughs> you know, I come back to the bus and I'm like, that's that, that moment in time, you know, people always say, you'll never work another day in this business. Right. I look at it and go, wow, I might not work another day in this <laughs> oh, business. Yeah. Oh, this wait, could be his that dad moment. runs CAA? Yeah, the, yeah, the, I am yeah, so, so fucked. This could be the moment. <laughs> and then G-Money, like, like, we get them all settled. And then I actually got a call, like, from his dad saying, thank you. Like, thank you. We need to toughen this kid up a little bit. Um, but G-Money Good was so job, smart. Kevin. He was the smartest kid in, he was early tech. He was early tech. He sat on the bus. Ice-T gives him a name, right, named G-Money, because that was Ice-T. He could identify something. goes, I'm not going to judge. I'm going to learn from this kid. That's uh-huh. how Ice-T always was. I'm going right. to learn from this kid. And he was early internet, so hooked up Ice-T, got them all dialed in. And now I think G-Money, you know, I keep in touch with him, but he's like running some giant gaming company, I'm like sure, in the yeah. world, you know. So G-Money was great, you know. And then, you know, it was always interesting because, you know, as in that, it was like kind of like how Paul and Bob, they they took a chance on on young people and young things. We wanted to be a sponsor of the smaller stages at the time, right? You had, because if it was the Kevin Says stage or... The Ernie Ball, these stages were these young bands that were following such an interesting lead in what was happening. You wanted to be part of that. And I think that's where the Blink-182 thing came into be because they were a young band. They were on the forefront. They were hilarious. They're pretty much comedians. And they were out there following everything that they had seen the small bands go out there and do. And Rick DeVoe and his genius had all those little bands under him. And, and if we all remember Big Dummy Productions, which was Rick, he was putting on all the ska shows, right? So he was doing everything from LA to Oxnard, some in Mexico. And he just started managing his little bands and it, it was unique. And 
it was really fun to just be able to solidify the relationships. And then there was this this whole other world. Like we, I was doing my thing, you know, they were doing their thing. And then there was this guy in San Diego, Rick DeVoe, who was kind of doing his own thing. I started out, uh, I was a surfer and I really got into music uh, in the mod, ska scene early on when I was in high school. Started my own, you know, started the surf club. And I decided I wanted to become a, uh, work in the surf industry because I wasn't good enough to be a, you know, a pro surfer or anything like that. So I, I took the route of kind of getting involved in the production of things. And as things evolved, I, I started promoting shows uh, in Hollywood at the Whiskey and the Roxy. And I was putting on surf movie premieres. <clears throat> and what I would do is, is I would, I would I'd hang out in Malibu when I was younger. That's where I grew up surfing and everything. And I would get all my friends from the beach to come down to Hollywood and see a show and see a movie premiere. We give out free surfboards and I get I had all these sponsors from Volcom, Quicksilver and everybody. And we would put on these shows with these bands and the movies I was premiering were like company movies for like Quicksilver or Volcom or things like that. But then as it evolved, uh, I, I, I met this director. I forced myself meeting him. His name is Taylor Steele. And I lived in South Mission Beach because I was going to SDSU. And I was promoting shows down there. And they were all called the Big Dummy Jams. And I saw this guy filming. And I'm like, oh. And I, look, I don't know, and, and I look in the water and I see these guys surfing South Mission Jetty. And they were surfing way different than any of the people I knew. And I'm like, that, that's got to be Taylor Steele. And those have to be pros. I ran up to him. I introduced myself and told him all these shows that I was promoting. And I was like, hey, I want to premiere your movie, Momentum, your next movie, which was Momentum 2. And I'll get the bands from the movie <clears throat> to play the show. And so I ended up getting uh, Pennywise and The Offspring. I had Offspring play the L.A. show. And I had Pennywise play the San Diego show in Encinitas at the La Paloma Theater, which is an iconic movie theater that's still standing to this day. And I still have people paddle up to me saying that was the best show of their youth. So I definitely know I did something that was pretty cool at that time. I started getting a reputation for these epitaph bands, meshing them, you know, cra you know, coinciding with the surfing industry and the skateboard and snowboarding events. And that's how I crossed paths with you, especially, you know, up at, I think, at, at Big Bear and things like that. So as I was doing all that, I met a guy named Paul Gomez in Malibu at one of the contests. And we, we hit it off. And Paul Gomez worked for Billabong. And Billabong was like my favorite brand. That was like the brand that as a surfer, I thought was like the end all be all. And he and I hit it off real well because he's a music guy. And he ran marketing for Billabong, which was owned and operated by Mr. Bob Hurley. And <clears throat> so Paul and I hit it off and I told him all these things I wanted to do and how all these things I was doing with Taylor Steele. And a lot of the surfers in the movie he sponsored, they weren't the Kelly Slaters or the Rob Machados. They were like the next tier down, but they were like the ones that were so fun to be around, you know? And so we did these tours. All the surfers came on tour, including Kelly, a lot of them. And we toured all around the country. And Paul got the green light from Bob to fund these tours that we were doing. So we Rick 
few years younger than me. But he was kind of doing this kind of thing we were doing with Golden Voice up here. But he was really coming from the surf culture background. Like, I like how he always says, like, I wasn't good enough to be a pro surfer, which I relate to because I was never going to be a skater, you know? Right. I love skateboarding, but, dude, I was bad. So it was like I had to figure out how to work in that world. interesting with Rick is you don't really think of the, Ros- or, uh, the Roxy or the Whiskey as, like, a surf punk venue at oh, all. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, we used to do the Ramones for four nights at the Roxy. Right. Yeah, you know. Or Fear started at the Whiskey. So there was always, like, this peripheral thing. But actually, Rick was coming kind of up into the territory. Like, you know, if you think about it, Golden Voice ruled this market. Right. And, and Rick was able to come up here because of his relationships. And... But the thing I liked about Rick was, you know, he was, he had kind of had that open door policy uh, that I had for a long, you know, that I always tried to have. And it, it led to something very cool in his life. The punk rock thing was really getting big. I remember I walked into Bill's office and I'm all, see, I told you. And they slammed down a Rolling Stone magazine and Green Day was on the cover of it. And that's when I knew I'm like, it's on. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time with these with these bands and, and I started managing a band called Unruh Law and I started working with Bill. And then all of a sudden one day I'm sitting there and they're like, Hey, um, there's some kid out here that wants to talk to you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. What? Yeah. Send him in. And you know, I'm like 24 years old. And, and this kid walks in he's like big kind of goofy looking kid. He's like, Hey, what's up? I'm Tom from Blink. And I was all, oh, hey, what's up, buddy? How are you? And I'm all, sit down. And we were talking. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, uh, I'm in a band, Blink, and, and we're a three-piece. And I'd love to talk to you about doing management because you promote all the, my favorite shows. You know, like I had them all. I had all the rancid and no I was, I just was there. I just, I worked hard and I got the bands. And I looked at him, and I even have the notes somewhere. I looked at him and I go, huh. I go, yeah, so... You guys are the only playing San Diego, huh? So yeah, we're worth about 300 people. I'm like, yeah, I'll manage you. Never even saw the band. Man. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. And it was, a lot of people realize that, you know, and he was working with Bill Silva, who I would say was one of my mentors, you know, down in San Diego. Rick was a solid, you know, solid kid. Bill took him under his wings. And then there was this moment in time where they also had a band called Unwritten Law. And they kind of tried to had to break up the company a little bit. Rick decided to go on his own. And they had to choose who they took. And Rick took Blink. And it was probably a great decision for him. He was 24 when all this started. He was a baby. You know, so simultaneously at this point, Bob had Billabong going. He was supporting these movies. He was supporting these bands. But he was at this turning point with, with Billabong. And... He had to make a decision and he decided to start his own company and, and, you know, sitting there and deciding you're going to name something after yourself. Like, you know, <laughs> it'd be like me going, I'm going to put out the Lyman tour, you know? And, and some people have said like, why don't you put out something called Lyman's barbecue or something like that? And, and it, it's a question like, you know, because we try to be a little bit humble about what we've done in life, but you know, and Bob was the same way. So how the name Hurley came uh, about. I just say, go ahead and do it. Like my last name, I do it, but y- nobody y- can y- pronounce it. You would it. have no problem like that. <laughs> the Aradia. Like, Aradia. <laughs> no. So, you know, this is interesting how the name, you know, when, when he, he captured thought the name would be okay. Um, I used to make surfboards for a long time. So since 1978, I had the name Hurley on surfboards. But when we started doing Billabong, we had partners and, 
it represented a lot of people, you know, it represented Paul, Greg Teal, Leanne Murray, all, all the people that worked on the brand. It didn't represent me. So when we were going to start a new brand that everybody believed in that worked there still, I didn't want it to be about me. Um, I still made Hurley surfboards at the time, but I wanted it to be these other cooler names. You know, there were so many cool names at the time, uh, right around the millennium. And we got it. We narrowed it down to five names. Uh, all of them were, I thought, super cool. And they would fit with snowboarding, skateboarding, music, surfing. They weren't super surf turkey names. And uh, our designer at the time was a woman named Leanne Murray. And her husband called me up, a, a good friend, former old, old, old pro surfer. And he said, hey, I got, a, I got a bone to pick with you. I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm talking to the husband. What's going on? And he's like, so Leanne told me the names that you're thinking of calling the company. They're pretty cool. He goes, I just think that's dumb. And I'm like, uh, sorry, dude, you can come to any of the meetings if you want. He goes, no, 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 I'm not coming to any meetings. Here's what you should call it. Here's why. He goes, you should call it Hurley because you're giving Billabong back like a huge brand in the marketplace, very well respected and known. And people are going to walk into a store and say, this brand, you know, family or whatever, what is that? And the story is kind of tough, like really just that quick little 30 second story. It's a lot easier if they say, oh, the guy Bob Hurley that ran Billabong in the U.S. since inception used to make surfboards. He still makes surfboards. And now he's doing this brand with all the same people, only it's a different look and it's a different style. It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's funny when he mentioned family because I actually had a clothing company called Family for a while with Fletcher for Pennywise. We actually had this clothing company and it was F-A-M-L-Y. And uh, I learned a lot about starting brands too because we, were, we ran this company and it was really cool designs, but we had no one passionate enough to run the brand for us while right, we did what right. we did well. So I always tell people in my branding classes, it, it's, it's great to be involved in multiple things. Like when I got involved with St. Archer Brewery, it was because there was Josh Landon who was so passionate about it. Right. Um, you, you could take, you know, a good dye, young hair dye. When Haley Williams brought it to me, I invested in her company because I, She's passionate about her brand. You can't just dabble in things. You 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 could dabble in it, but you have to have someone that's a hundred percent in. And it's gonna drive. And that's what I did with Warp Tour. You know, it was like drive it every day, drive it every day, drive it every day. Now I had I was involved in other tours and festivals, sure. but there was always someone trying to drive that festival forward or they failed. But this one was your baby and yeah. you had to make that happen. And, and, and that's like Bob now had his baby. Like he was now going what to be I his baby. What I didn't realize with Bob though was that he had already been branding surfboards with the name Hurley already. I didn't know that. I thought it all just came at no, once. Did, so no, not, no, he made surfboards. He, he was a but shaper. Were they no, were they were not brand branded Hurley. He was a shaper. So he deserved. So it was a natural transition for him with his name. He was a shaper. He come from the culture. Right. So when he, it was like, oh, that name is no. Bob Hurley shaped surfboards. Bob Hurley ran Billabong. So the story was easy to tell to right. launch that brand. It was really interesting. You know, uh, Rick DeVoe was, was putting these shows on with Taylor Steele. And Taylor Steele was another person who, who got it, you know? He was doing these surf movies and everything, but he really understood the music and the culture behind it. And Rick, and they were doing these shows where they would debut the movies in theaters and everything. I took him and plugged him in to my world in Taylor Steele's movies and all these things. And I swear, man, I, maybe a year later, they're touring around the world with Pennywise because Andy Summers 
got it. I took Andy surfing. I, I explained to him everything, what's going on in this world. And he thought it was the coolest thing being a skier. He was a big time skier. So he got it. And he, I became, you know, I already had the relationship with Pennywise and stuff and Pennywise freaking uh, Taylor Steele, those guys, they really put Blink-182 on the map and Bob Hurley. Rick, I didn't realize was also like he promoted the first warp Tour in San Diego. But it's how all of us, you know, later on, a couple of years later, supporting a band you love, supporting people you love. Right. Blink rode on my bus for a whole summer. Wow. They were, they couldn't, you know, it was like tour support that the label might not give him. We, I said, hey, why don't you guys ride on my bus? That's how close we are all. You guys can come on my, but that's what I could offer. Right. But then and it, it was interesting that it was brought up, you know, by Rick about something that, that, that really kicked off Blink in a whole nother continent. When I was promoting, I promoted one of the very first Warp Tours. I think it was the first Warp Tour. And it was in San Diego. And so as you and I got, became, had a relationship, uh, we started placing Blink. Everyone started helping me out. And we started placing Blink in all these amazing spots. And Paul Gomez, uh, once again, you know, he'd be like, look, if you need anything, let me know. I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Australia for the Good Times tour, Taylor's movie, but I need 5,000 bucks. And, you know, we don't have it. We're getting paid a hundred bucks. And he's like, no problem. He went and talked to Bob Hurley. We got you, man. Bought us five airline tickets. Five airline tickets, dude. Got him there. And I'm telling you, Blink and Pennywise and everyone came on that warp tour with me when I went over to Australia. And you felt it. You felt that energy of that connection that they had built these audiences by going and doing these surf movies and these, these, these events, that warp tour, that first year we went to Australia just was massive. We talk a lot about, you know, music licensing. And one of the things that really worries me with all these catalogs being bought and everything right, right. now, that people are not really going to understand marketing and what was in, what's important sometimes. And, and Rick mentions a guy who I have a lot of respect for, and and have had a great relationship with uh, Brett Gurowitz from Epitaph Records. Brett Gurowitz was very smart in giving Taylor the music instead of charging him some licensing fee, some this or that. He what he did by letting him put the music in the soundtrack of these films, it just the fan base just blew up in a whole nother area where they never thought they would have fans. And it was like this culture. And, and, and we talk about culture a lot and, and how it was all, it worked well together. And we worked well together because we understood what, that we all really believed in what we were doing. You know, Hurley was like, you know, we were kind of 98. I think they, they printed up a few. They were thinking of going, Hurley was going to launch in November. Like it was like, there was like wearing these t-shirts, but it got cold one time. And, and all of a sudden they made this Hurley, red Hurley sweatshirt and it was red Hurley. Right. And it said white in Hurley across it. It was red sweatshirt, kind of bold colors. And Blink-182 wore that sweatshirt. They wore that, they wore that sweatshirt uh, on MTV Music Awards on 9999, right when our product started shipping. The very day we were at a trade show with our product that had just shipped. And they wore that on TV. Uh, you know, the band called us. Uh, Paul goes, come in my office. Uh, we we got to talk to the band. I'm like, why? He goes, just come in here. We got to talk to him. I'm like, okay. Paul puts him on speakerphone. It's Rick DeVoe. And the guys are like, oh, what's up? 
I'm like, wow, MTV, you guys are nominated for three things. This is a big night, man. Have fun, you guys. And they go, yeah, we'll check out what they're trying to do. They put colored duct tape over all the logos on our shirts to match the shirts so it looked like we're wearing plain T-shirts. And they said, we can't wear logos on stage. I'm like, well, that's MTV, man. That's bigger than what Google is now. Like MTV controlled Earth. So I said, listen to those guys for sure. We're fine. Like, you guys don't owe us anything. And they're like, screw those guys. We're going to wear them on stage. We're going to rip off the tape right before we go out. And I'm like, and you'll never work again. Do not do that under any circumstance. Well, they did it. Um, they had the little people out on stage. I don't know if you remember. It was yeah. all the small things. Yeah. So uh, it was a big, big deal. Everybody wanted those T-shirts. Yeah, I think it was like they sold like 60,000 of them the next day wow. online or some crazy number. You know, cool. it was it, it. I mean, it just catapulted. It catapulted Blink, you know, and, and Blink that the MTV Awards and then catapulted Hurley. And, you know, it wasn't like, hey, give us some money for the. It was like, cool, you supported us when we were young. Right. So he supported him. And so, like, one hand washed the other when it came their time, too. And and he was cool. He was like, don't do this. You won't work again. <laughs> None they, of us will work again. And they pulled <laughs> punk rock and went for it. So that's really cool, man. You know, but, you know, that was a great time. Was this before or after the napkin story? Well, yeah, the napkin story was 1998. And. What ended up happening was we, Bob Hurley, once again, invited us to go on this trip to Puerto Escondido. That's how he was. Sometimes you would get invited. Let's go! You would, but you'd get invited <laughs> to go with all these pro surfers. And, That's awesome. And I don't know if you know, Puerto Escondido is like a big surf flight. It's like right. the pipeline of Mexico. Uh -huh. And we go down there. The waves are massive. There's like no way I'm going out in those waves. <laughs> you know, it's like we saw a guy drown the first day, honestly. It was really? that big. Second day, we got a guy get sucked out to sea, but they rescued him on a jet ski. Ugh. It was gnarly, but there was a pro surfer down there named Coco. And uh, Coco, Bob would sponsor these people. Just he'd find these like, like people that grew up in these small villages. Right. And, and he would give these guys some money to be able to get to surf contests and come out of there. And shot. we're all hanging out. Paul Gomez, Bob Hurley, his kids, some pro surfers. Rick DeVoe's with us, right. you know. I think a bottle of tequila was with us at one point. <laughs> Maybe and two bottles of we were, tequila. Yeah, we were all with a few bottles of tequila. And we were sitting there at night. And, you know, we're always giving each other a hard time. We're giving each other a hard time. And I'm like, I, you know, I want Blink on the Warp Tour in 1999. I, I'm like, Rick, Rick, let's get this done. Let's, you know, let's make sure this happens. So I said, let's make a deal. So I pulled out a napkin and we wrote out, you know, I will pay Blink $10,000. <laughs> and, and Blink was like, you know, getting big at that point they're just right. starting to really kick up but he signed he's like cool i'll sign that that's cool let's make this deal like who who wants to involve the agent and the agent was my agent and his agent the same guy daryl eaton would have had to negotiate the deal between us you know mm, there's no conflict of interest so, no conflict of interest so so we go through the night and the night was getting a little wild and then rick wanted something like we said something and then he tried to kill us with a butter knife in this what? bar yeah he pulled out a like there was a butter knife and of course gomez is egging him on to try to kill us like could you actually kill someone with a butter knife so he was waving the butter knife so this is clearly got, the third bottle of tequila so eventually kind of wound down a little bit and then we go into the we go into the, the this rooms we were in. They had this fan that just going like sixty miles an hour. That it's hot the, in Mexico. Was no, it was Mexico, just super fast fan. And all of a sudden, Rick pulled out like my plane ticket or something and threw it 
up into the fan. Like this hard tickets. No, no. Did it like a cartoon? Did yeah, they go, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, we're like, fuck, this is crazy. So I just grab a magazine off the thing and throw it up into the fan. Not realizing that it was Coco's one copy of the mag surfing magazine oh, that he was shit. featured in. Okay. And oh man. Everyone just went like that. Oh my God. Like, and I look at Coco and I'm like, oh my God, I could die right here. I could die. Like this is like You mean he's gonna kill you. And then right all here. of a sudden they start egging me on. They start calling me the dream stealer. Oh, it was like the dream stealer. Like and I'm like, oh man, I'm not, and how are you gonna fix this? I'm like sit there and glue this back together for this guy. It. Um things settle down settle down a little bit and then then i went out with coco for tacos that night little village we would let's go out i'm like oh my god i'm going out just with coco and we ended up having some tacos and hanging out i was really apologetic about tacos bought another bottle of tequila you know it was like one of those things we were all hanging out things settled down but then we got back to la and i'm like yeah blink's gonna do warped daryl's like oh okay what are you gonna pay him i go well here's the deal it's on a napkin We were all people who started something because we were passionate about it. And I'm sure, you know, there was, we all had a business sense that we had to make our business, but it wasn't driven by business. It was about how to support each other. And it was, you know, people like Brett Gurowitz coming in and saying, you can use my music because it it gets it to new people. Or me saying, oh, you can have a booth on the Warp Tour. We know you don't have enough money right now, but one day maybe you can support what we do. We'll take a gamble on you. And Bob Hurley was that person who said, I'll support those young bands. And then the big money started coming in. The action sports industry did change quite a bit as money came into it. And I'm sure you've seen that in many areas of music too. It's just, it's, it's a nature of things. You know, sometimes you're lucky enough to be surrounded by like-minded people that love the same thing. And you'll, you'll just live on the edge. You'll take huge risks without contracts. You'll work with competitors because you're confident. You know, there can be 20 competitors. If we're all different, gosh, we can all be friends. It changes when everybody tries to copy everybody else and everybody just tries to get bigger at the expense of integrity. And so what happens, I think, with a lot of the companies that you mentioned and uh, um, a big corporation gets involved or they go public and then a bunch of uh, really well-educated, super smart people that don't have much self-confidence come into the business and they try to regulate it so they can seem like they're in charge, but they don't really know what they're doing. Occasionally, you get some people like I've had a few that come to the business and say, hey, look, I may have this pedigree, but I don't know what I'm doing. We bought Hurley because you know what you're doing. Tell us what to do. And I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody's smart. This is amazing. <laughs> but that's why the change and the homogenization happened. You know, it's just the money. He said a mouthful there. And I bet you've experienced over 25 years on the tour you must have experienced this with different brands coming in and out. Well, no, you know, there was there was these brands, and and that was the interesting thing here because Steve Van Doren was totally cool, like with with Hurley. I mean, I think Steve respected Hurley. He knew everyone that worked at Hurley. They also worked on the tour, and it was always cool to have Hurley out with fans. But let's but, be completely honest; these are two competitive brands in the same market space. So they understood and we understood that sometimes you have to get together to move the whole culture forward. That's awesome. And and Hurley was out with us and Steve was cool with it. Everyone was cool with it. And then one day all of a sudden I get a call that Hurley couldn't be on Warp Tour. 
Why? Because Nike said they couldn't be on a tour <laughs> with Vans. <laughs> Nike bought Hurley. Yeah, Nike bought Hurley. And this had been going on for a couple of years. It was cool. And all of a sudden, it's like my friends, you know, Greg Teal, Paul Gomez, and all these people said, we can't be part of something that we were part of from the beginning. And I think eventually some people adapt and they can work in it. And then some people just say, this isn't the world for me anymore. And I think, you know, Paul Gomez was one of those people. I was the one person who actually resigned from Hurley and Nike because I just woke up one day and I'm like, who am I? This, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a sport guy. I'm not a jock guy. I'm a surfer. And I learned a lot working for Nike for the time I was there. But I just remember that call when I was just like, wow, really? Like, you don't get it. You, you don't understand this. This isn't, this isn't, you're basically asking me to abandon my tribe. And, and it was, it was for, for me, it was heartbreaking. I looked at it and, and I, I, I I'm going to totally say something that might be completely controversial, but I really don't care. I feel that these acquisitions of companies are actually what has killed action sports because you and I can hop on this Zoom call right now and we have stories for days. We have stories of vacationing in Hawaii after this war tour. We have stories of going to Mexico and going fishing. We, we've, we've vacationed with our families. I vacationed with Teal's family. I vacationed with Jeb. Jeb, all these. There was this community that they, all of a sudden they just, they, we, we, a, a, a finger got ripped off the hand. And for us, it was like a thumb. You know, and I looked at it and I look now, there, there is, it, it, you watched action sports fade. You watched it, you watched all these people. I'll never forget one time, our, our, this is kind of towards my end days where it was like, you know, I was working on a deal in Australia and I, 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 was, I was at the Festival of Lights doing a big event in Australia and, and in the 11th hour, they came to me the powers of being said, Hey, you're backing out of that deal. And I said, I've got 25 years worth of relationships here. I'm not, I'm not backing out of that deal. No, you're backing out of that deal. I said, no. And, and I went and cut a deal with Dillamong. And you know, the breakup with Dillamong was, was pretty tumultuous. And I went and sat down with him. I said, look, here's a really good way for us to unite, come back together, do something rad. You sit on the beach with music and Jeb was running it in Australia for us, Jeb and Teal. You know, and it was, and I did that deal and I never forget the phone call I got is from one of the hires up at, at the swoosh saying I should be fired for putting that deal together. You should be fired. And I'm like, well, I would be fired anyways, because every relationship that I had, and it was luckily for you and I, we've been friends. I don't even know how long now, you know, we've seen our kids grow up together. Our families have vacationed together. So that phone call, as hard as it was for you, I knew that would never affect our friendship and our working relationship in the future. But with other people, I'm like, I'll be, I'll be out of a job anyways in the next six months because I burnt every bridge and I won't be able to do anything moving forward. So I might as well do it. And we had that huge success, everything else. And that as soon as I returned from that, I resigned. And I just went, I, I can't do this anymore. And I, I've, I've, I've walked away from action sports and that was in 2012. I've I've, ne I've never gone back to action sports. I, I don't. I am working on on projects and, and wave pulls and stuff like that, but not in apparel, not in that whole world. Because unless somebody is going to really take it back to the roots of like where it's self run by the people who tell the stories and the people who get it and the people who understand, it, 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 it the paradigm has moved on. Leading to that end, 
from the very beginning, as we started, you had these relationships and you built this whole generation of kids and bands and brands. To what end? With COVID now, where do you think it's leading to? Is it dead, as he says there? Do you think it's non-existent or do you think it's changed so much that it's not even recognizable anymore? Well, I think a lot of the brands have you know, pivoted. Where we saw that growth in youth was into the streetwear brands, like the street culture. You know, we just saw Supreme sell for like billions of dollars. You know, right. you, it microscopes the deals that were made, you know, the, these back deals in the day. back in the day. Because I think also, you know, when you had these uh, streetwear brands, they were able to, you know, move off the coast. And like I always say, Vans moved off the coast. It became the brand they were because they recognized Kansas City and they recognized St. Louis. Where streetwear brands kind of went into every city and were able to transfer into that. And, you know, I don't know. You know, you, you, you look at it and, you know, Hurley's now been sold off by Nike. Uh, they've been sold to more of a licensee type company that you might see Hurley at, you know, at, at a discount chain store. Uh, it might be mass marketed, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and you know, Costco, maybe you're going to be able to buy 12 for 12 bucks t-shirt <laughs> package <laughs> yeah. or something. But, you know, it's interesting because the people that were behind it are, are still doing good things. You know, I mean, Bob is supporting uh, some new brands uh, that are coming out soon. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I want to see that rise again. You know, this is genre of alternative pop punk that was never more associated with brands than it was associated with, with your tour. And now you see it with hip hop and other brands now in current day, but that current genre, which is still a huge genre and a lot of bands out there has never been affiliated associated with brands as much as they were at that time. Do you think it's ever going to come back in that way? I don't know. I don't know if the people are going to be able to allow it. It took people to do it. It took the people to do it. Paul was complaining about why he quit. It's that, when he said to the, and Bob mentioned it too, you, you know, you have the people with the pedigree, but they just don't get it. It's a culture. It's a, it's a movement that, that not only the kids understand the bands, the surfers, the skaters, but some of the brands got it too. Absolutely. And, and they're better and for it. You think that a CEO of a company is, are they going to come out on Warped and travel us? And Bob had a couple of great stories. But uh, Greg got me up on stage. Pennywise was just about to go on and they were uh, they were really popular at the time. Uh, and uh, all the kids were like chanting and stuff like that. And Teal's go, I was backstage and Teal goes, hey, come out here for a sec. I'm like, what? He goes, just come out here. I'm like, no, I can't. He goes, get out here right now. I need help. I'm like, OK, I got to help my buddy. So I go out there and he goes, hold this guitar. He goes, the sound's not working. And I'm like, oh, bummer. And he plugs it into the amp. He goes, he goes, hit a few bar chords. So I did like a little smoke on the water. And, then, and it, it was playing no. over the thing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. The crowd's all like cricket and tumbleweeds. Like, why is there an old dude on stage playing some song <laughs> we've never heard of? And then I'm like, dude, don't ever do that again. But it was one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the things it was with Bob, he was always observing, too. You know, you didn't realize that he was, wasn't just hanging out. He was observing and I guess he observed me sometimes doing things I didn't realize. When I would go to a Warped Tour event, it felt so comfortable. I mean, I didn't know all the bands at first. I didn't know all the cool people. Come to find out, they're just a whole bunch of regular people. And you fostered an environment that was like, hey, man, we're just all people. I love how you penalize famous bands for not behaving. 
I was talking to a friend in a band one time and it might've been lefty. I said, what time do you guys go on today? And they said, 1130. And I said, gates open at 12. They go, yeah, Kevin's pissed at us today. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the coolest thing I ever heard. I go, are you still going to play? They go, we have to. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, you know, to have people that you looked up to, to actually come out and be part of your life was pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was really fun. And, you know, it's, it's, but once it's in your blood and that's sometimes for me, I'm torn, like I'm starting to do a lot of new things and things, but it's in your blood. And, you know, you know, Bob's, uh, I don't think he's given it up completely. I'm super excited as I have ever been about, you know, surfing and action sports and, you know, believing in people, I'm just doing it a little different way. You know, much like you, I did my thing for 40 years. Um, geez, we went right to the top. I mean, I, I played an acoustic guitar at a Nike meeting in Barcelona in a castle that was built in 1200. We got to play on a huge stage. It was so fun. Got to experience all the neat music stuff with you and lots of friends. And and now, uh, now I've empowered, well, I haven't empowered, I haven't done anything, but uh, my brother is starting a brand with a bunch of friends from Hurley. Um, a bunch of not that neat stuff happened at Hurley in the last two years, which is fine. I think it was all part of a plan. But uh, so my brother is starting a brand with some friends called IPD, which is an old logo I used to use on surfboards. It looks very much like the PIL logo. Um, and then that's a surf shop brand. And then my sons and a bunch of other friends are starting a a shoe brand called Simple. They purchased that. And then a brand with a guy named John Florence, who's the number one surfer in the world. And so we're doing those three things that I get to help out with all of them. I high five. I still geek out. I get, I put all the stickers on my board for all three brands. I'm just having as much fun as ever. And I'm spending most of my time surfing, looking for waves, ordering surfboards and giving unsolicited advice. And I'm available <laughs> for any meeting. <laughs> I mean, you know, That's cool. I mean, you, you you see Bob Hurley, he's got 11 grandchildren. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like, it's wild. And you know, Hey Bob, just if you're, if you know, if you hear this podcast, IPD sponsoring the, my warp life Warped podcast, because it was funny. I got a free t-shirt from Kona brewing <laughs> this week. So they sent me a t-shirt since I was wearing their hat on one of the episodes. Yeah, it's cool. You know, so far we have water and a t-shirt. I can cut this in half if you need half of it, Tony, you know, <laughs> no, but it's great after all these episodes to see all these people that you're interviewing in these relationships. These are like, Good long-term friends of yours. It's very cool that you know, they're all doing very well. And, and, I, and I love that, you know, Bob had that support of his family through all this, has always had the support of it. And uh, it's pretty cool. My wife, Shelly, has supported my surfing and skating endeavors ever since I was a little grom. And uh, <laughs> we've known each other. See, we got married. I was 19 and she was 18. And I know you've been married a long time too. But yeah, no, she totally supports me. She still laughs at me. She's, uh, you know, yesterday she's like, why don't you go surfing? Like what? she's always encouraging me to like go places and surf and, and do what I do. And I think, I think one thing she really enjoys about it is we, we get to know a lot of people and a lot of really, really unusually amazing people. And it's through surfing and it's through music and it's through friends of friends. You know, people always ask me like, gosh, we, can you give us some tips on how to start Hurley? And I'm like, not really. It was a time and a place and it was friends of friends helping friends. I mean, who who has the Black Eyed Peas and Blink-182 playing at their opening party in San Diego in 1999? Can you make that happen with a lot of money? Probably not, you know? It's just crazy. It's just friends. His wife sends about surfing when she needs to get rid of him. My wife sends me to the garage to start a podcast. <laughs> Wait. 
Something's not some, fair there. Some some people have a glamorous life. Some others just have to I, get through the weeds and to get there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Kevin, you need to go start a podcast because I'm sick of you in the house during this pandemic. You I know? think it's interesting where he said, you know, a lot of people ask me, how do I start a company like Hurley? And he says, I don't think you can anymore. It's different. You know, everything is different. Lightning in the bottle. You capture it when it's the time's right. Now, there will be the next new big thing and how that comes about. And that leads me back to my question to you. After all of these experiences, these brands that did it right and got it, where do you see it going now? I mean, you're Kevin Lyman. You've got to have some kind of insight on this. You teach it. You teach this at, at USC. I mean, I, I always think the, the next great brand is waiting to be created. And you don't, there, you don't, it's what goes on with the Warp Tour. People go, hey, can you create the Warp Tour? I go, the Warp Tour had its time. We had right. a 25-year run. It evolved. But the next great thing will be something completely different than the Warp Tour right. um, for whatever generation that's going to be. And, you know, you, you see some of these things going. And, I mean, is, is it going to be, I don't you know, is something lifestyle going to catch on? But we're starting to go into real niches. You know, people like want to get back into a niche. You know, if, you know, if you're a person that's, you know, Loves, they're, they're, they're very niche. And, you know, we, I, I, I had a, a person I got to know right before he passed away, Keith Huffnagel, who had that niche. He had right. a real street vibe, a lot of credibility. And unfortunately, he passed away in the last year. But he's someone who had found a niche within even skating that was even a micro niche that he was so good at, at doing. And I think we have these smaller little niches that become very, very popular amongst a certain group of people. I don't know if you have these mass marketed brands, you know, we just saw Supreme sold for like a couple billion dollars. We'll see where that brand goes in, in, the, in the future. And it's not like, hey, I'm sitting here wanting to be complimented by people, but you know, when you hear something from someone that you looked at as a mentor, it feels, makes you feel pretty good. I do want to say uh, um, some of the best days of my life were on Warped Tour, Kevin. And I, I, I know, uh, I know most of the musicians would tell you that, and I'm sure Steve Van Doren would say that, and Paul and Greg Teal and, and all our good friends out there. And I really want to thank you for creating that environment. It was to me, to me, when I first went there on the first day, I'm like, this is it. This is what it should be. A bunch of nice people that skateboard, surf, or don't, and who cares? There could be iced tea. It could be the chili peppers, black eyed peas. It could be Lefty, Weezer, Green Day. We don't care. Who cares who we are? We're just people, right? And it was so cool that you did that. I've never seen anywhere else like that, honestly. And it, you know, I'm sure it had massive amounts to do with our fundamental principles at Hurley of inclusion, empowerment, facilitation of dreams and all that. You know, So thank you very, very much. I think the culture that you built actually drove him to instill that in his business. Those, I think we, That's cool, I man. think it's interesting because I think we all were doing it but then when we came together, it became much bigger. We always believed that if we cooperate and work together, we all benefit from it. Well, where are your commission checks for all those Hurley clubs? Oh, there we go with the commission checks. Or anything. But, you know, <laughs> no, you know, no, at least you know, a trip to Hawaii. I, I just want some IPD. Yeah. Some IPD wear, Bob. No, IPD. that's really great, man. So I think we, we cranked this a lot in this, this show. Yeah, we're doing, you know, we've gone through a lot, you know, and, you know, masterclass I, I, in branding and marketing today. I like how Paul, you know, Bob said it very eloquently and, and Paul said it kind of in the same way. Those relationships with those brands are still stand the test of time today. Like I, I work, I work with still best. I mean, Greg Teal came and worked for me. Laura Wasser came and worked for me. Uh, I'm working on a project with Brian Bishop from the Bishop stage. I, I, and we're, we're, we all still 
are very close. And do I just right before I called you, I, called, I was on the phone with Rick DeVoe going, Hey, I'm getting on Kevin Lyman's podcast. And it's just, that was all solidified by the sure fact of you created a community out there and you were really good at weeding people out. You just went, <laughs> ah, this guy's not part of our culture. There's, there's a few guys that were out there who, who worked on the crew and did that kind of stuff. And they shall remain nameless, but there was, there was a funny things that happened out on the tour. And, and the Fletcher was always a person who was like, I, I one Fletcher story. I always loved if he, if somebody did you wrong, he would go, I, I'd walk in the kick. Cause we were always, I was always on bus once. So we were always the first ones up. We'd load the bus in and out. And I'd walk in, I'd walk into catering. And Fletcher's like, don't eat the licorice. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't eat the licorice. She's like, I licked every single one of them and put them back. <laughs> I'm like, you did what? You did what? Fucking Fletcher licking all the goddamn licorice. <laughs> it's like you had to get I up. Love like, Fletcher. You had to get. You had to get up. Like we were up early. How did? He, what did he do it the night before? <laughs> or or did he ride in the truck with it and do it? Or did he take him and bring him indicator? I don't know. I don't know. And that's a lot of guy with had way too much time on his hands. So, <laughs> you know, to think of that, you know. Um, a lot of you know branding stuff we did out on that tour that i don't think people sometimes understand but i think one of the things that was interesting what you did was is how you got this you aligned sponsors with bands that was the most forward-thinking thing ever because we did it we did it with blink and Volcom had done it with pennywise but you would come out and go hey i really like this band we can't go for the tour you like call ryan emmergard call greg teal these guys can help you be out on tour. You're going to have to do this and this for them, but they're, I'm not going to pay like your, your baby band and you're going to earn your way out here, but call these people, these bands and have them have these companies sponsor you. And that was like groundbreaking. And then if you look at like the brands who actually started bands, started their own brands after that. I mean, there was a lot of brands out there that had, that were created by bands. Right. And that, that was unique. And that, that came from, like if I if you had a nickel for every time you you or a five percent commission on every time you said, "Hey, do this," and you watched it, you know, turn into a multi million dollar business, it you know. But that's why you're a professor in college telling people what to do. Here we go. Here we go, Tony. <laughs> Tony's going to bring up the, the money. Goddamn money, Kevin. <laughs> He's going to bring up the money. The only uh, reason I'm hanging out with you, I thought you were rich. <laughs> but you know, one of the, the the truly cool things I think. When Bob was able to to build out like the Hurley down in Costa Mesa, build that out. Mm -hmm. Some of the things he thought about adding to his facility. I truly believe that we came into this culture, the surf industry culture. They didn't really have any bands to identify themselves with. And Mark, Tom and Scott were super fun to hang out with. Always laughing. Dude, they made Bob laugh all the time. And Gomez. I mean, these were... You know, at the time, we had Aki when they were doing Billabong. They had Aki. They had like rock stars, surfers, you know. But they always took the time to make us feel like family. They invited us to the same dinners that the big pros were at, you know. They invited us always like come to their Christmas parties. Bob gets it. He builds his compound in Costa Mesa. He builds a skate park. And guess what else he builds? A recording studio. So he lets my band from England come in because Greg told Bob about it, I guess, and lets them record for free. And then they get all this content and 
it's just once again, this is what I'm trying to get at is these guys got it. They saw it. They were living it. I mean, Bob was not a poser. He was going to shows. Paul Gomez was going to shows. Paul Gomez ran on your bus for how many years? You know, so at the end of the day, you know, guys like Bob and Paul and yourself, um, and there's more, um, Teal and, you know, it, Taylor Steele, were so instrumental in this 90s punk rock, surf, skate, snow scene era that happened from about 1994 till about 2000. I, I mean, that's really when it was in its prime. And we were all so lucky to be a part of it. I, th I think it changed, though. I mean, that, that prime, I, I think it, it went beyond 2000 though, oh too. i mean for that search cut but you know but you it got, changed it, you that's what i loved about you kind of riding that wave and and changing it with the emo stuff and yeah you, know, you, you were know, you were constantly changing and now we're sitting here like emo phase two and i just heard like i heard machine gun kelly went on sale like and sold fifteen thousand tickets in the first hour how uh -huh. awesome is that you know uh, for some shows that he's you know that'll be going next year but how popular it is you know and uh yeah, so that's yeah, kind of how we, uh, you know, this all evolved, and and you know, we we kind of as a sp the business started changing and skating started to stage change. It, it took a little bit more of a backseat out on the tours we were on, and we were, became more of a lifestyle. And you know, later artists like you know Travis uh, Barker would have famous stars and straps out on Warp Tour, which was a brand. I'm sure he learned a lot about watching Hurley and everything grow on. You know, but this week, you know, we are going to be celebrating our, our charity uh, this week. Uh, uh, Dylan. Dylan is a, a kid that was injured in a, a car accident and he was a bass player. And I met Dylan walking around a parking lot, basically, with this bass and some T-shirts. And, and he was explaining to me how he wanted other people to play his bass. So we're going to be highlighting uh, Pass the Bass or as I like to say, pass the bass. I'd always go pass, pass the, the bass, pass the bass. And he actually has some wonderful shirts that, um, will, that were sold out at the golf tournament and, uh, people really enjoy them. I got my first bass guitar when I was 15 years old, five months after I suffered a traumatic brain injury, the neurological damage. I'm unfortunately not really able to play. I'm 36 now. Six years ago, a friend of mine suggested that I start this campaign. Prior to the start of it, I had gotten a couple bases to play it just so it wasn't sitting around doing nothing. But somebody suggested killing two birds with one stone, getting uh, bases to play it while raising money to help individuals struggling with brain injuries. Wishful thinking, fingers crossed, goal is to put together um, a pass a base benefit show. Reach out to me on Facebook, uh, my personal page, um, Dylan Flynn. I'm the most justifiably arrogant man in the world. So once you see me on Facebook, you'll know who I am or through pass a base. First of all, we'd like to thank Chase Tadero for joining our Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting uh, My Warped Life. We'd also like you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter. We've also launched a website this week, My Warped Life Podcast. Uh, we'll be updating things there. We'll be opening our store. 
Uh, we'll be donating a portion of all proceeds to our favorite charities. So follow My Warp Life podcast. And thank you to people like Chase Tadero for making this all possible. You know, we want to thank all our guests. You know, I just, it's, I, it was such a pleasure to get to talk to Bob Hurley. We talked for over an hour. Of course, he was at a beautiful surf spot where he owns a beautiful home. Yes. And then, you know, we were able to we grab. We go visit him in December. You know, you know yeah. And then, you know. Uh, Paul Gomez, you know, great to catch up with him. Uh, and then Rick DeVoe, you know, Rick DeVoe was awesome. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to talk to Rick DeVoe. I guess they now have a van, so we're going to be making some van life uh, plans. Together, oh, that's great. You know. Yeah, that's the wrap on uh, our That's episode. a wrap. That's a wrap. That and golf tournament sure was fun, Kevin, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It was a blast. And, you know, we want to thank all the listeners and everyone. Uh, please, we love your feedback. We love you coming on. Uh, you know, I want to, uh, you know, thank uh, Xavier, who just graduated from college. Woo-hoo! So now we can focus a little more on this instead of being drunk for a week. But that's all right. You know, that's cool. We love that Xavier. You're supposed to celebrate when you graduate college. Uh, we want to thank Beata, who seems to stay on point. She wasn't must miss some of those parties that Xavier was at. And we want to thank Vivian, who keeps plowing forward on everything. I want to thank you, Tony, for Yay, joining thank me. thank me. And have a wonderful trip this weekend. And uh, as always, we want to thank the most important person of this whole broadcast, Diego Ratia, <laughs> will be leading us out today. Buddy, take us out, buddy. Get us out of here. Diego! Hey! <laughs>